Well, good morning. Uh, if you got a copy of God's Word, you can turn to James chapter 3. Uh, we're continuing a, a short three-week series where we're providing context for these upcoming DNA groups that we've been talking about. Uh, since most of the questions regarding our 2022 vision have been centered on how we will regroup, that, that second action step, uh, we're covering the what, the how, and the why of DNA groups over the next few weeks. And so as a, as a refresher, uh, DNA groups are going to be groups of three or four men and uh, three or four women who meet at different times and in different places throughout the week. Uh, DNA is an acronym which highlights the primary goal of every meeting, to discover the truth with our heads, to nurture the truth in our hearts, and to act on the truth with our hands. And so along with, with preaching through each one of these goals, we're also hosting a DNA workshop during the Sunday School Hour on March 13th, where we will connect groups, provide resources, and answer any lingering questions. And also we should mention that we've still got a few weeks before this starts. We're planning on having the first round of DNA groups run uh, from the week of March 20th uh, to Memorial Day. So this morning, we're moving from discovering the truth with your head to nurturing the truth in your heart. In other words, we're shifting from understanding principles to changing attitudes, from processing information to experiencing transformation, from acquiring knowledge to gaining wisdom. And for students of, of Scripture, the topic of wisdom is almost synonymous with King Solomon of the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 3, when Solomon was preparing to inherit the throne from his father, King David, he made only one request from the Lord. He didn't ask for immortality or financial prosperity or military success. He asked for wisdom. And he took that wisdom and he wrote the book of Proverbs. Solomon crafted this 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 uh, this book that has many practical do's and don'ts for Christ followers. He he says things in Proverbs like a wise man does blank while a foolish man does blank, or a wise man would never, but a fool will always. And then in the New Testament, the Apostle James picks up the mantle from the wise king a little bit. Sometimes scholars call James' epistle the Proverbs of the New Testament because James follow Solomon's pattern of contrasting wise and foolish living. As a matter of fact, we're picking up this morning at the end of chapter 3, but if we look back at the first two and a half chapters, we could easily convert several of James's core ideas into Proverbs. For example, you could say, the wise man finds joy in suffering because he's being brought closer to God, but the foolish man sulks in his sorrow. The wise man is a doer of the word, but the foolish man is a hearer only. The wise man loves all of his brothers and sisters in Christ, but the foolish man plays favorites. The wise man controls his tongue, but the foolish man is loose with his words. And so among other things... James wrote this letter to all the, the first century churches who were scattered during a season of intense persecution to help them walk in wisdom. 
So remember, we're, we're moving from head to heart. And knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is how you live. So let's read verses 13 through 18 together. James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and, and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Verse 13, James asks, Who is wise among you? Who is understanding among you? Now that's a rhetorical question, so don't raise your hand. You know, I was saying about this, and my dad would certainly not meet many of the world's qualifications for wisdom. He doesn't have secondary degrees. He hasn't traveled the globe. He isn't a titan of industry. doesn't have a large social media following because he doesn't have social media. So in the eyes of the world, he doesn't meet their standards for wisdom. But in God's economy, it's a different story because for 50 years, he's been walking with the Lord. For 50 years, he's been searching for the center of God's will. For 50 years, he's been striving to be a, a husband, father, businessman, and pastor who honors Christ with his life. And I can attest that wisdom and discernment regularly flows out of that treasure chest of lessons and experiences. When I was in college, uh, before I met Lacey, I, I was dating another girl and and we had a lot in common, and we had a lot of fun together. But after dating on and off for a few years, it was becoming clear that she was interested in moving past the fun stage and at least discussing the let's get married, buy a house, have kids, and live happily ever after stage. Now at the time, I was 19 years old. And my primary focus was winning intramural championships and barely passing business courses. So I didn't have the bandwidth for even considering the next phase. But I felt this pressure to, to think about it. And some days I was really hesitant and unsure. But other days I was pondering what town we might settle down in. And after a while of going back and forth and just sort of spinning in circles on what I should do about this situation, I had a conversation with my dad, and, and he broke the logjam in my brain with one really pointed question. He said, son, are you 100% certain she's the woman God has for you? Because I promise you, you will know when you know. So if you're certain, move forward. If you aren't, don't. 
See, my dad understood the big picture. I was thinking about the next hour, the next day, the next month. He was thinking about the next 50 years. Uh, by God's design, we, we must lean on other brothers and sisters in Christ who can see the whole puzzle, who can give us well-rounded perspective, who can relay sound advice. And often these types of wise people are the ones who walk in humility, meekness, and gentleness. They're the ones who know the truth and work each day to live out the truth. And so when you go to, to the end of our passage, verse 17 and 18, James provides a, a larger sketch of, of, of godly wisdom and, and what that looks like. But first, he describes what foolishness looks like in verses 14 through 16. Verse 14 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and, and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. So, so foolishness is, is characterized by bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition. When you hear the word bitter, you may have a, a particular type of person who comes to mind. Someone who's convinced the world is out to get them. Someone who is cynical. Someone who is unnecessarily harsh. Someone who can be cold, vicious, and biting. Bitterness is a heavy burden. Bitterness can skew your entire worldview. A few years ago, I was at a conference and I heard a, a pastor from Las Vegas speak about dealing with, with bitterness in, in ministry. And from an outside perspective, he was a pastor who appeared to have it all. He led a a blossoming church, he oversaw vibrant ministries, and he had, he had planted in the literal sin city. So there were ample opportunities to see the gospel expand from their church, and yet he was still bitter. He was plagued by negativity that was coming from a few church members. He was hurt by the departures of a few families, and, and slowly but surely his burden started morphing into bitterness, and after a while he started casting that bitterness towards a few onto everyone. Until one day, on the advice of a mentor, he sat down with a, a yellow legal pad, and he wrote down the name of every person who had ever hurt him deeply in his church. And he, he set aside a couple hours and he had a stack of yellow legal pads because he was, he was certain he was going to fill up two or three of them with names. And he said that he sat down and he racked his brain and he wrote down eight people. Eight people. In a given year, his church was seeing thousands come through the door every Sunday. And he was letting eight people steal his joy. And once he 
started working on forgiving them, his bitterness started to disappear because he began realizing that no matter how much they hurt him, he was hurting the advancement of God's kingdom so much more by carrying that bitterness around with him and projecting it on everyone else. Now, you may not struggle with bitterness, but if you do, hear me say this, you may benefit from a similar exercise, because I can assure you, your list is far shorter than you realize. The negative voices are always the loudest. The negative voices ring in our heads the longest, but we can't let negativity of a few steal all of our joy. And in a similar way, jealousy and and selfish ambition offer the same result as bitterness. They're they're like a rocking chair. They give you something to do, but you you don't get anywhere. Jealousy is especially dangerous because it moves you from the proper frame of mind. It's impossible to make wise decisions with a jealous heart. If you're longing for that house or that car or that job or that marriage or those children of someone else, you can't make wise decisions because an atmosphere of jealousy will will cloud your outlook. And the same is true for selfish ambition. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with, with having ambition. There's nothing wrong with bettering yourself. You should eat healthier, go to the gym, work hard, take a family vacation, read a book, save for retirement. You should do these things to take care of yourself, but when your personal ambition overshadows your spiritual condition, then you have a problem. For example, for the last two years, I've been given a little more attention to my diet. If you look at my photo on my license, there's a chin that used to be there that's not there anymore. <laughs> so, so I've lost some weight over the last couple years, but, but I've paid a lot of attention to my diet because I haven't been to the gym in seven years. You know, Parker's seven years old, so there's probably a direct line of correlation that you can draw. When the full nights of sleep went away, the gym membership went away too. And at some point, I would love to get back into a gym routine. And if I coupled consistent training with a balanced diet, then then I'd, I'd be honoring God by adopting this healthier lifestyle. I'd be taking care of myself so I can continue in ministry and take care of others. But let's say that I swing too far with that. Let's say I become a a gym rat. Let's say I'm obsessed with games and I'm I'm huffing protein powder and I'm grinding for three or four hours a day at crunch fitness. Would I become healthier? Sure. But would I also become a less devoted husband? A more absent father? A less prepared preacher and available shepherd too? Yes. So life is about balance, right? It's okay to have some ambition, but you have to factor in your spiritual condition. 
Look at verse 15. It says, This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So, so look at the flow here. When you give in to bitterness, jealousy, and selfishness, you provide Satan with a foothold, and the results are disorder and sin. Foolishness leads to disorder and sin. Let me ask you, does your life ever feel chaotic? I'm not talking about your kids aren't sleeping. Your, your job's busier than usual. Your sinuses are giving you constant sinus. Your allergies are giving you constant sinus headaches. Okay, I, I'm asking, does your life ever feel messy? Does your life ever feel sideways? Does your life ever feel turned upside down? Where your marriage seems a little left of center? Where your children are acting out constantly? Where your friendships are, are strained? Do you ever feel stuck, disheartened, hopeless, anxious, worried, or broken? You know, in these moments, when your life is out of order, you must go back to the root issue. You must ask, where are you obtaining wisdom? Are you searching for wisdom from God or the world? Are you trusting God or cable news pundits? Are you trusting God or social media influencers? Are you trusting God or bloggers? Are you trusting God or life coaches? Are you trusting God or experts? See, foolishness removes God from your calculations. It creates this rift in your relationship which brings disorder into your life. And I have a lot of concerns about what we do with that disorder. Here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, we really struggle with prioritizing external appearance over internal change. What I mean is because we are so concerned with what other people might say or what other people might think, we practice this lone wolf sanctification where we keep all of our issues in-house and we fight all of our sin patterns alone. And we say, hey, I can stop gossiping. I can overcome my pornography addiction, I've got it under control. I don't need any help. I can defeat Satan all by myself. But the truth is, if you're really interested in victory over your sin, you need accountability for your sin. You need friends who will call it out. You need friends who will speak truth and love. You need friends who will point you back to Christ. This is why we, we are camping out on DNA groups. This is why we are such huge 
advocates for DNA groups because strong connections are the key to sustainable, healthy growth. You need an inner circle to help you debunk false wisdom, to help you steer clear of bitterness, jealousy, and selfishness, to help you stay away from earthly, spiritual device advice, to help you keep from spiraling into disorder, disarray, and destruction. You need those friends because life is hard. Satan doesn't sleep. He doesn't relent. He doesn't stop working. Apostle Peter says he's he's prowling like a roaring lion looking for something to devour. Jesus said that he came to kill, steal, and destroy. But God has a better way. God gave us community. So we could encourage each other. So we could inspire each other. So we could bear burdens with one another. So we could laugh with one another. So we could cry with one another. He gave us community so we could seek His wisdom together because true wisdom comes from above. Let's read verses 17 and 18 again. It says, But the wisdom from above is... First pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So after wrapping up his spill on foolishness, James turns a corner in verse 17 and he writes, But wisdom but wisdom from above. So so what is the source of true Wisdom. It's really simple. Wisdom comes from God. You shouldn't be surprised to hear that God gives the best advice. And no one in this room is thinking, man, for the last 40 years, I have been solely taking advice from Satan. Never considered seeking counsel from the one who's the creator and sustainer of the universe. What have I been doing with my life? Thank you, Pastor. I have seen the light. But even though we realize God is the source of true wisdom, we can still get off track. And so James tries to keep us inside the lines by providing some some characteristics of wisdom. He's saying this is what wisdom looks like. Once again, as we mentioned earlier, wisdom is not what you know, it's how you live. And so here are several results of wise living. This is the overflow of wise living. He writes, but wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So let's walk through these. First and foremost, James says wisdom is pure. Synonyms here would be undefiled, authentic, real, genuine. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wisdom comes from a pure heart. It comes from people of integrity. Second, wisdom is peaceable. It's peace-loving. It's it's peace-promoting. The wise are advocates for peace. Now to clarify, sometimes... 
we must stand for hard truth. Sometimes we must speak a word of correction. Sometimes we must address blatant sin. And there are times and there are places for those confrontations. But honestly today, most of the conflict that exists in Christian circles has little to do with truth and a lot to do with preference. When I was working in student ministry, I rarely heard complaints from parents based on truth. I never heard, Pastor Bo, I, I would really love for you to do a series on prayer. I don't think my student has a concept for the power of prayer. I don't think prayer is is practical for him. And I'd love for him to have a prayer life like King David in the Old Testament. I'd love him to, to be able to just pour out his heart to God like David does in the Psalms. It wasn't that. The complaint sounded more like this. Why didn't you plan more events for fall break? Why aren't you taking the students to Winter Jam this year? Why can't they go somewhere new for summer camp? The complaints were centered on preference. Every church member has an opinion about the best practices for the church. But before you share it, before you share it, not just with me, not just with the deacon, before you share it with anyone, you should ask yourself, am I fighting for truth or tradition? Am I genuinely concerned about a departure from biblical principles or am I concerned about leaving my comfort zone? And if you feel that you're fighting for truth, fight the good fight. But if you're talking about tradition, if you're talking about preference, then keep the peace. Third, wisdom is gentle. It's kind, it's compassionate, it's generous, it's caring, it's patient. Foolishness fights constantly. Foolishness remains in chaos, but wisdom is calm and calculated. Wisdom is able to withstand abuse. Wisdom is able to handle critique. Wisdom is able to swallow mistreatment. Again, this was displayed by Christ as he hung on the cross. He told his father, forgive them. Forgive them that put me here because they know not what they do. So if Christ can extend grace to the men who murdered him, then you can extend grace to those who slander you, neglect you, and abuse you. Fourth, wisdom is reasonable. It's submissive. It's open. It's, it's willing to yield. Or maybe the best way to put this is it's, it's teachable. In the past, we, we've talked about the, the temptation to reach this place of arrival in the Christian faith, which is an epidemic in the Bible Belt. Some will, will confess faith in Christ, go through the waters of baptism, attend church 
semi-regularly and then never move beyond the starting line. And if you aren't careful, you can fall into these patterns where you overlook familiar sermons, you skip familiar verses, you tune out familiar hymns, and you cease to be teachable. But here's the danger in that. If you aren't learning, you aren't growing. If you aren't listening, you aren't growing. If you aren't reading, you aren't growing. If you aren't praying, you aren't growing. If you aren't serving, you aren't growing. And when you aren't growing, you're teetering on dangerous territory. Best case, your lack of growth results in you experiencing just a small fraction of what God has for you. Worst case, your lack of growth means you're still dead. Because dead things don't grow. Church, we have to be teachable. We have to open our Bibles with the expectation that God is going to speak to us. We have to come on Sundays with the expectation that God has a word for us. We have to approach prayer with the expectation that God is going to guide us. Because wisdom is teachable. Fifth, wisdom is full of mercy. Wisdom shows concern for the hurting. Wisdom offers forgiveness quickly. A wise man cares for the sick, ministers to the widow, reaches out to the fatherless, is attentive to the broken, and protects the marginalized. Again, you're just modeling Christ, who surrounded himself with prostitutes, tax collectors, and wretched sinners. He crossed ethnic lines. He crossed social lines. He crossed economic lines. He consistently was drawn to the least of these, and a wise person should mirror that behavior. A wise man is quick to forgive because he understands Christ forgave him first. And then finally, wisdom is impartial and sincere. It's not hypocritical. It doesn't play favorites. It treats everyone with respect. When we understand the grace of Jesus Christ, it it changes the way that we treat others. In this room, we have different backgrounds. We have different personalities. We have different ideas. We have different opinions. Individually, we have different outlooks, but collectively, we have the same need for a Savior. And even though we share a, a common need for grace, we, we have a tendency to treat people differently. In, in chapter 2, J- James gives an example about the dangers of showing favoritism. He says, if you invite the rich man to come sit in the good place and you invite the poor man to stand over there or sit here at my feet, you become a judge with evil thoughts. And so James uses a rich man and a poor man, but you could substitute plenty of other options. We, 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 we make assumptions based on outward appearances, but Christ doesn't care about what's on the ins- outside. He cares about what's on the inside. He cares about the heart. And we should too. So the characteristics of true wisdom. Wise person is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere. And so when you're searching for a mentor, 
or a friend. You should look for these characteristics. An advisor who mirrors these traits will lead you well. And when you're evaluating the wisdom of your own decisions, you should consider these characteristics too. Wisdom is not what you know, it's how you live. We get to verse 18. James mentions the, the result of living with wisdom. It says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So if you reap wisdom, you will sow righteousness and peace. Now, on a few occasions, we've discussed the, the three circles gospel sharing tool. And in a nutshell, here's a quick synopsis. The first circle is God's design. And then sin entered the world, which led to brokenness. And then you have the gospel. God created the world. It was perfect. We sinned against him, bringing disorder and death. But if we repent and believe in the gospel, then we can recover and pursue God's design. That's the 15-second version. So the Christian life involves working to recover and pursue God's design. Sanctification involves working to recover and pursue God's design. And so you should you should work to live with godly wisdom because it leads to godly righteousness. Wisdom discovers God's design for conducting business or thriving in marriage or handling conflict or raising children or interacting with non-believers. Wisdom leads to righteousness. Foolishness leads to sin. But with that righteousness that comes with wisdom, wisdom also fosters peace. Now, everyone on earth craves peace, but many are looking for it in the wrong places. Peace doesn't come from money or relationships or accomplishments. Peace comes from having a right relationship with God. Listen, before I went into ministry, Lacey and I made more money. We had more, we had less responsibility. We had more freedom. We had less hectic schedules. We were living closer to family. But even though life has become a little more stressful, a little more complicated, a little more difficult at times, we have never been more content than we are right now. Now, because when you discover peace with God and you keep peace with others, you find peace with yourself. And that may mean having less money. That may mean waiting to put in that pool. That may mean accepting that you don't have a perfect relationship with your spouse. But wisdom comes from above. And when you make peace with Jesus, His wisdom becomes your wisdom. And you live a righteous life full of peace. And so what does this look like practically? We understand wisdom comes from above. We understand that wisdom has these characteristics. We understand wisdom fosters righteousness and peace. But how do we gain wisdom? Well, James says in, in chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. So where do we start? Let me give you three practical suggestions for pursuing wisdom in the context 
of a DNA group. First, seek God in prayer together. Prayer is an obvious Sunday school answer, and yet when we're faced with crossroads in life, we don't always go directly to God in prayer. We weigh options, we make pros and cons lists, we talk about every scenario, but some problems are above our pay grade. One of my former pastors wouldn't even counsel someone before they prayed about their circumstances. A church member would come up to him to say, Pastor, I'm, I'm done with my 15-year-old. She's driving me crazy. She's pushing all my buttons. She's the spawn of Satan. I need to talk to you about it. He would say, did you pray about it? No? Well, come talk to me after you prayed about it. Pastor, I hate the music in our church. I don't know these new songs. I don't like all the drums. Did you pray about it? We'll talk after you pray about it. Find God's wisdom when we seek Him sincerely in prayer. Second, seek God in His Word together. God's Word consists of letters, psalms, narratives, and other forms of writing with one common theme. Every page of Scripture showcases a fallen and sinful people in desperate need of saving. The problems in Scripture are the same problems that show up in the congregation today. A man who is addicted to internet pornography is no different than David when he lusted after Bathsheba. A couple who are compulsive liars are no different than Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to Peter. A woman who struggles with jealousy is no different than Saul when he reached a jealous rage after David was anointed instead of him. The times have changed, the culture has changed, the circumstances have changed, but people have not changed. Wisdom still comes from a consistent interaction with God's Word. And the good news is, we live in a golden age of resources. If you don't like to read, there are Bible apps that will read Scripture for you. If you struggle with reading for understanding, there are hundreds of devotional devotionals, commentaries, and Bible study options. If you don't want to do the work at all, there are thousands of sermons available for streaming. You can listen to the exposition of God's Word from solid pastors while you wash dishes or clean your room or drive to work. I would be happy to make recommendations for you. There's so many ways for you to interact with God's Word. and There's, there's no shame in taking advantage of the resources at your disposal. And then finally, just say, seek God in the counsel of one another. God reveals himself in prayer. God reveals himself in, in Bible study. And sometimes God reveals himself through other believers. Now, I've been blessed with great pastors, teachers, small group leaders, mentors through different stages of my life. But no person has spoken more truth into my life than my wife. She can be a voice of confirmation when I'm struggling with a big decision. When I said we can't move eight hours away and uproot our lives for seminary, she said, yes, we can. When I said, I don't know if we're financially stable enough for children, she said, maybe not, but we'll figure it out. When I said, I'm not ready to lead a church, she said, yes, you are. 
Who speaks truth to you? Who prays for you? Who encourages you? Who invests in you? Who helps you walk along the path of wisdom? At their core, DNA groups are designed for the purpose of moving the truth from your head to your heart. You need an inner circle. You need others who can point you back to Christ. Or as Solomon would probably say it if he was here, the fool pursues sanctification alone, but the wise man grows with the help of others. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. It is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in, in righteousness. And it's profitable for acquiring wisdom. It's profitable for, for growing in, in Christ's likeness. You know, Father, we're, we're spending these few weeks talking about, about DNA groups and, and spending some time talking about the, the how, the why, and the what of what we're trying to accomplish here. But, but Lord, you know our, our heart in this is to conduct discipleship more intentionally at Charity Baptist Church. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd give us wisdom and discernment as we try to do that. Pray you give us success as we try to do that. Pray you, you, you allow us to see fruit as we try to do that. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would you'd help us to become a, a healthier body of believers as we try to do that. And Lord, we're not worried about church growth. We're worried about church health. That's our first priority. We know that if we're healthy, the growth will come. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time in your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.